Praise the Lord. It's good to see everyone here today. It really is good to see you. I'm not just saying that to feel fine. Praise the Lord. Why don't you greet somebody next to you? I'm hearing a bunch of conversations that are dying slowly. Say hello. Give somebody a handshake, a high five. Tell them you're glad to see them. Praise the Lord. And we are glad to see you. Because if you take a look around you, this is an environment. This is an environment of privilege. And this is an environment of opportunity. Why do I say that? Because we're privileged to know who Jesus is. Aren't we? Are you privileged to know who Jesus is? To understand that God chose to reveal himself to humanity. Not only to reveal himself, but to do something so that you could have relationship with him. Praise the Lord. This is also a place of opportunity. Why? Because you have an opportunity to divest yourselves of the burdens and the issues of your life and to begin a relationship with the Lord. So we are grateful that you're here this morning. If you're joining us on live stream, everything I just said extends to you as well. We're so thankful that you're joining us this morning. We have a few things to tell you. We have 21 days of sacrifice. We'll be continuing until Sunday, January 2nd. Tuesday, January 17th, we will have our Tuesday morning prayer in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. Sunday, January 22nd, we will have a connect group fair, which will be held at the A Center after our altar service. This has been tremendously effective at building community and culture and grace, so please avail yourself of it. You'll have a good time. I know I did. you have a great time. And finally, Sunday, February 26th, from 2 to 5 p.m., there will be a ladies' tea, which will be held at the uh, cottage tea room. A category has been set up on Easy Tithe to pay your $25. It's open to ages 12 and up. Praise the Lord. Do you love the Lord this morning? I know that seems like a very simple question, but I do because I understand that there was a trajectory of my life prior to me knowing God that would have ended very poorly. But I stand before you redeemed. I stand before you saved by the grace of blood of Jesus Christ, and I appreciate that. Can we stand to our feet? Can we let the Lord know that we love him this morning? Can we articulate that to our Master and our Lord and our Savior, that we love him and that we appreciate him? Let's ring heaven with our voices, Grace. God bless you this morning. Brought me 
woke you up this morning. He started you on your way. He put a new song in your heart today. Why don't you just praise him with us? Thank you, Lord.
Jesus, feel what you do. Bodies are still being raised. Giants are still being slain. God, we believe. Let me conceive it. That wonders are still what you do. We are
Everybody praise Him if you would. Let's lift up Him today. Everybody let's lift up Jesus. He's worthy, oh God, you're worthy, oh God, you're worthy. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, Grace Church, can we lift up one voice, one unified voice of praise and worship to Jesus? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. 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 God, we worship you. Oh, God, we worship you. Oh, God, we worship you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. Anybody glad today that the presence of the Lord is in this house? Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Aren't you glad Jesus is here? It changes everything when Jesus is here. Yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I feel I feel an air of excitement this morning. I feel an air of expectancy here this morning. I feel like the psalmist when he said, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Let's do that right now. Let's clap our hands to Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. There's an awesome, awesome demonstration of the Holy Ghost going on right here up the front. But I'm going to ask that you return to your seats this morning. So we can move on with the service. God bless our amazing youth group, our children's ministry. It seems like every service, when you give them the opportunity, they're going to worship. When you give them the opportunity, they're going to pray. As a matter of fact, our youth group meets every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in the building next door. And they pray for about 20 or 25 minutes. That's why when they come over here, they're ready to worship. They're ready to have church. Thank the Lord. I thank God for that. Thank the Lord. Praise God. While you remain standing this morning, we welcome everybody. And I'm so glad you're here. All of our guests here today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so very much for coming. I do need to make a uh, say a couple of things here before we get into the Word of God. I want to remind you of this coming Wednesday night. Uh, I'll be making a presentation for our next semester of Connect Groups. Uh, they will begin February 13 and go through April the 9th. And uh, as I mentioned to you this past Wednesday night, I'd like to remind you, um, I'm planning to conclude my presentation around uh, 10 after 8, something like that. And then Casey is going to come up and uh, give all of you that are here a quick t- tutorial on our new church app. And uh, we're switching over to a, ner- a new church app that's going to be very user-friendly. It's going to be amazing, especially for our Connect Group leaders. And, um, and saying that, um, having the presentation Wednesday night, on Sunday, January the 22nd, after service, when altar service is completed, we'll have a Connect Group fair next door like we did in our last semester. And uh, Brother Jason, I guess you and Nathan have to 
work with us for the building being set up for the fair for y'all Sunday school class on uh, that Sunday morning. And uh, I'm sure they will work with us on that. They always do. And then on, they listen very carefully, on February, Sunday evening, February the 5th, at 6 p.m., we'll have our Connect Group leaders meeting. And um, uh, I've also asked Casey to be there to show all of our Connect Group leaders how to use the church app as well. So uh, remember those uh, few things. Make a note of it. We'll be sending out you an email uh, reminding you of the things that I just said. Uh, we're glad to have Brother James back in church with us. He's been through a very challenging time with heart surgery and what have you, but we're glad he's back in service with us today. <clears throat> Thank the Lord. And if you want to hear some real sweet news before we turn to our scripture text today, Cole and Peyton are officially engaged to be married. That's right. And... Uh, I heard a lot of these single girls up front making a lot of noise about that. I wonder if they're thinking about that day in their life when somebody's going to get down on one knee and pop the question. So it's what it sounds like to me. On the other hand, this side of the church was very, very quiet and say nothing. So, uh, But congratulations, Cole and Peyton. We're very happy for y'all. I think they're getting married in July, something like that. So uh, congratulations. Very, very happy for you guys. Very happy for y'all. Thank the Lord. Uh, I want to read this morning. <clears throat> I feel like God has really spoken to my heart, has dealt with my heart. And I want to preach to Grace Church this morning. Um, I want to throw out a challenge. <clears throat> I believe it's time for us to move forward like we've not done in a long time. So in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1, a familiar reading to probably most everyone here today. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, in 24 hours, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord, not the Lord, but a Lord, a person, a part of the king's court, then the Lord on whose hand the king leaned <clears throat> answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, Elisha said to the man, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And there were four lepers. Everybody say that, and there were four lepers. There were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we shall sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians, if they may save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord 
had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even, uh, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. And they said one to another, we do not well. This is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning. Just title this message just one word. I want to title it stalemate. Stalemate. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing in your patience and you may be seated. Somebody said, when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Some will mistake your faith for fatalism. It's that less said here in die mentality. Some will mistake your faith for fatalism, but God is looking for you to step out and completely rely on him. Again, I want to talk to you for a little while this morning, just simply stalemate. I remember it was a month before Sister Murph and I married, 46 years ago, that uh, I was hired by a civil engineering firm. My brother-in-law, Gary, worked there, and he uh, made this job opportunity for me happen. And uh, so he worked there. And uh, our office manager's name was Earl. Earl was a very eccentric man and very difficult to get to know. But once I got to know him, took about six months working there every day to get a bead on Earl. But after that, I sure did like the man. He was just a very unique man. But I liked him uh, very much. Well, I discovered, and this is going back to a different time and a different culture. Uh, we didn't eat out a whole lot back then. It don't seem like a whole lot of people did. And uh, I learned when I went to work for this company that uh, Gary and Earl uh, just about every single day would bring their, their lunch from home and they would go into our little old tiny, tiny kitchen, had a table and two chairs in there. And there was a chessboard sitting in the middle of that table. And I learned that that's what Gary and Earl did every day. I mean, every day they went in there and played chess. For it fit their personalities. They were both men that loved strategy. And uh, it was a game you didn't have to talk much. And that, that kind of fit both of them as well. And I brought my lunch, and rather than just sit at my desk and eat my lunch, I drug a chair into that little tiny kitchen, and I would sit there and watch them every day play chess. And they never said nothing. 
They just stared at that board and stared at that board and stared at that board. And I thought, this just can't be fun. But over a while, I kind of got enthralled with it just watching them. I got very curious about the game. I even played Earl a few times when either Gary was away on vacation or whatever. And I just tried to learn by watching them play. And through the years, I've gone through some tutorials on the computer about chess. And from watching these two men play, I learned what each, how each piece had to move. The rook, the bishop, and all of that. The king, queen. I learned their moves. But I never could figure out strategy. I just, it was just too complicated. <laughs> it's not checkers. By a long shot, it's not checkers. So I went through some uh, tutorials on the computer. I've even played against the computer on the beginner level and still couldn't win. And about three moves, checkmate, game over. And after I did that about three or four times, I thought, you know what? I need to find something else to do. Uh, I don't know what, but find something else. It was not the game for me. I never understood the strategy it took to win, so I gave up on the game of chess. So again, for more than a year, probably closer to two years, I watched Gary and Earl play chess nearly every day. And every once in a while, it didn't happen often, they kind of beat each other about the same and uh, very equally matched. But every once in a while, their game would end in what they called a stalemate. A stalemate is a situation in which further action is blocked. It's a deadlock. Referring to the game of chess, it's a drawing position in chess in which the king, although not in check, can only move into check, if you understand the game of chess, and then after that, no other piece can move. So bottom line, there are no more moves. It's game over, and neither side wins. In our scripture setting today, it's kind of towards the end of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel had split into two parts. You had the northern kingdom, Israel, and you had the southern kingdom called Judah. This story takes place in the northern kingdom called Israel, and at that time, Samaria was its capital. Samaria had been surrounded or besieged by their enemy who were the Syrians. And Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria, a very popular king in, in history, in biblical history. The strategy of the Syrians was to besiege the city of Samaria and literally starve the people out. All supply lines in and out of Samaria were cut off. They couldn't get any food in. They couldn't get anything out. They were completely isolated from the world around them. In addition to that, the people of God were not in a good place spiritually. And they were literally, physically, and spiritually starving to death. Some of them had literally become cannibals, eating their own babies as you would see that in the preceding chapter. I don't think none of us here today really understands the power and the force of hunger. But they were truly in a position 
that I would call a stalemate. As in the game of chess, they were out of moves. There was no strategy. They were hemmed in and there was nothing they could do. Their king was powerless and their military was powerless. This had to be one of the darkest times in Israel's history. As uh, again, you will read in the previous chapter. But when you get to chapter 7 that we read here this morning, the first person you meet in our scripture setting is Elisha. Elisha, he's the man of God. He's the prophet of God, regardless of the economy, the state of Israel, the state of Samaria, the condition of the king. None of that mattered. He was still plugged in to what God was doing. He prophesied to the king of Israel, the king's court, the Lord, a Lord on his court was there. He prophesied to them and to whoever else was in earshot that everything is going to be different for the better this time tomorrow. In 24 hours, I need everybody to get on board with me because I'm fixing to get cranked up here. In 24 hours, it is going to be better than normal. There's going to be food. The economy is going to just take this quick, fast upsurge. There's going to be celebration and rejoicing this time tomorrow. God is going to open the windows of heaven. The only one that responded to that was this man with the title of Lord. He said, and I find it interesting, that if there were windows in heaven, if God could make a window in heaven, in other words, to him, heaven had just been cut off. They were completely severed. Heaven even... Heaven itself couldn't do anything for them. So if God could make a window in heaven, this still is not possible. I find it interesting when they're in such a depleted mentality, a depleted state of spirituality, a depleted place of economy. No one responded to this prophecy except this One man who had a title of Lord. He's the only one that responded and made it very clear that this is impossible. It is absolutely, positively not going to happen. It's not possible. Even if God opened the windows of heaven, this prophecy cannot come to pass, and especially it cannot come to pass because, Elisha, you're saying that this is going to happen tomorrow. Now maybe if you had prophesied and said in three months, if you had prophesied and said in a year that things are going to kind of be back to normal and joy is going to be in the city again, we might could get our head around it. But you're telling me that people inside of our city has recently in the past few days boiled their baby and ate it. Do you all get that picture? It's a pretty simple question. How do you think, in the name of heaven, that all of this is going to change for the better tomorrow? 
in 24 hours is going to change. I don't mean to belabor that point, but I wonder what we would say if God had somebody prophesy here this morning that everything about Grace Church and everything about our lives, everything about our future is going to change in 24 hours for the better. Would you believe it? It appears from Scripture that once Elisha proclaimed the word of God to the king of Israel and to those standing around him, other than this one man's response, that was the end of it. Nobody went and watched it again on podcast. Nobody pulled up their church's website and said, let me hear that again. I'm putting it in our terms where we can understand it. Nobody asked him to repeat it. There was not any conversation about it. The Bible records very clearly that when, when he made that prophecy, this one man responded to it, and that was the end of it. May I say as kindly as I can that there's been some times that God has spoken to our church, and that was the end of it. Interesting, it's very interesting to me, and it's apparently simultaneously. While Elisha was prophesying in the king's court, you go from verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 7, where Elisha is listening to this sarcastic unbeliever, faithless man, while that is going on, there's four men with leprosy sitting outside the gates of Samaria. And one of them just had this thought go through his head. And he blurted this statement that we've all heard a thousand times or more. Just blurted it out of his mouth and said, hey. Hey, here's a good example right here. Four lepers. Four lepers right here. I've got an idea. Why are we going to sit here until we die? And I believe he engaged some conversation with these four other, three other men. Why are we going to sit here and literally just pass away? Let's reason this thing out. If I'd have thought of it, I'd had all four of us dress up like lepers here this morning, just coming. <laughs> Bandages and all of that. Be nice to have a picture, but they didn't have cameras back then, did they? But it's interesting to me, Brad, that while Elisha is prophesying to the king and his court, you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, from verse 2 to verse 3. You go from the king's court to a leper colony outside the gate of the city. While God is moving in the king's court and speaking, the Spirit of God is also moving outside the city of Samaria. Oh, my goodness. The Bible jumps. Try not to get ahead of myself. The Bible jumps from the end of verse 2 that is in the king's throne room 
a place of royalty, pomp, and ceremony to a place at the beginning of verse 3 that's just outside the city gates to a place reserved for outcasts, especially those who have leprosy. The place that is just outside the city gates is horrible, and those that are forced to live there are hopeless. The Bible doesn't say whether or not Elisha knew about these four lepers and what they were planning. I have a feeling he did not know. He knew what he had just prophesied, but he did not know how God was going to make it happen. And I have a feeling had God told him, he might have been a little skeptical himself. I think somebody's getting on board with me this morning. I said, I think somebody's getting on board. God has a plan. God is speaking right now, and he's got a plan on how he's going to bring it to pass. Hallelujah. So as the Bible jumps from the king's throne room and cuts a cross-section through the city of Samaria to just outside the city gates... The condition in both places in reality is pretty much the same. Nobody has any food. Nobody has any water. Nobody has any hope that things are going to get better. The reality said that things were only going to get worse. If you read in chapter 6, you'll find that the king has on his kingly robes, but underneath he's wearing sackcloth, a type of sacrifice, humility, and fasting. The king, he wants to be king on the outside. But underneath, he is desperate, longing for direction, longing for help, and looking for any shred of hope from anywhere. You would think that Elisha's prophecy would have excited him. But it was too much to swallow in one bite. God is going to turn this total whole thing Upside down in 24 hours. Maybe if Elisha had said it would, be, it would get better next month or next year, it would have been a little more believable. Perhaps the fulfillment being tomorrow was a little too hard to believe. I told you I'm going to challenge your thinking here today. Amen. God's, God's doing something. He's working. I know it in my heart. There's other people here today that I've talked to, and you know it in your heart. So today it would be easy to just focus on the king of Israel because, in my opinion, he's not in any better shape than the four lepers. But since the four lepers are the absolute heroes of faith in this scripture setting, I've chosen to focus on them. Another thing that's interesting to me before I continue is that the king's name is not mentioned. The Lord's name is not mentioned. The lepers' names are not mentioned. Only Elisha's name is mentioned. And I believe we would all agree that the four lepers did not hear Elisha's prophecy. They weren't in the king's court. They weren't allowed to be there. They couldn't even go into the city. They were banned from everything inside those gates. There's no indication in Scripture that I can find where they even heard what Elisha had prophesied to the king of Israel and his court. And neither is it recorded that Elisha prophesied this anywhere else around Samaria. You have to understand today, and I believe this is happening right now at Grace Church, 
while God is speaking to my heart about some things. I believe there's some people sitting out there. You may not have heard the voice of God. You may not have heard a prophecy, but something is welling up. I've already heard some say it. There's something welling up on the inside that's saying, why sit we here till we die? We're kind of in a stalemate right now, and something needs to happen. Something needs to break loose. We need to see God intervene. We need to see the mighty works of God in God's hand. We need to find God in somewhere in all of this confusion and despair. So I believe where just because those four lepers didn't hear Elisha's prophecy does not mean that the Spirit of the Lord did not move on them. Again, I want to reiterate. Somebody needs to get on board with me. While pastor's up here saying, I believe I've heard from God. I believe I've heard the voice of God in my heart. I believe God is directing my footsteps. I believe there's people sitting out here in front of me that's saying, you know what? That word, that prophecy, I may not understand it like he does, but something's moving on me as well. I feel a fire being kindled up in my bones as well. I can't explain it. I don't know where it's coming from, but I believe God wants to do something with me and my life that's going to impact this whole entire church and our community. I feel the presence of the Lord here today. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord, shall we? So it's fair to say that when they said, why set we here till we die, you could say that they were desperate. You could say they had nothing to lose. You could say maybe they were just trying to use some common sense. We're going to die one way or another. So let's die. If we're going to die, let's die doing something. Not just sitting here and wasting away. I believe their attitude was, let's dig deep down inside and muster up some faith. Faith on this level was perhaps never developed in them. Back when times were good, when they were with their family, when food was plentiful and the economy was good and even church was really fulfilling, they really didn't need this level of faith. But now times are a little bit different. They don't have food. In addition to having leprosy, they were starving to death. And this caused something to go off in their mind that said, I'm not just going to sit here anymore and do nothing. I'm going to get up. I'm going to take matters into my own head. I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see something happen in my circumstance. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. I'm asking somebody here this morning. There's people that's already doing it, digging down deep and finding some faith on the inside. Maybe before COVID, we didn't have the level of faith that we have now. I want everybody to hear that. Maybe before COVID, we didn't have to trust 
then like we have had to trust over the past years and months. But I believe there's people here today that's sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you will. My mother used to say that all the time. I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of not seeing the waters trouble. I'm tired of not seeing the baptistry being used every Sunday. I'm tired of empty altars. I'm tired of the church not growing. We're at a stalemate, and I'm ready to do something about it. I'm not going to just sit here. I'm not just going to sit. I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to sit. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What is the song the praise team sings? They sing, I'm going to get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. I believe somebody needs to have a John the Baptist spirit where the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent taken by force. Oh, God. Oh, God. So... By anyone's estimation, what they decided to do was not really smart, and neither was it very wise. But sometimes hunger will drive you to do things that's not smart, not wise. Not by men's perspective. I cannot imagine that if they had announced to the, the city of Samaria, had they announced to the king and to their friends and family what they were about to do, that they would have gotten one ounce of encouragement from anybody. What if one of those lepers texted his wife on the phone and said, honey, the sun is setting and I have an idea. I'm hungry. I know y'all are hungry. I know everybody's hungry. We can't go in the city, as you know. So we're going to go see what the, the Syrians have to eat. His wife would have texted back and let him have it. Are you a nut? Have you lost your brain? You've lost your way. They will kill you. They'll torture you to death. They don't, they don't know leprosy and all that perhaps like we do and understand it. You, 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 you won't last five minutes. It's a good thing they didn't have smartphones back then. It's a good thing they didn't have Facebook back then and Instagram, and TikTok, and Ding Dong, and all these other apps that you can have. They didn't have none of that. It's a good thing. Boot up your computer, unless the four of us, y'all all get on Facebook. Let's get on Facebook and type in. We're going to see the Syrians about something to eat. Do y'all understand who the Syrians were? They hated the Jewish people. They were starving them out. Do you realize how heartless these people were? They were probably, in my estimation, knowing the little bit about Ben Hadad that I know about the king of Syria, he was happy they were eating their babies. That's one less Jew that we have to fool with in the next 20 or 30 years. That was the plan. It wasn't a logical move on their part. I don't believe they had any clout. They didn't have any money. They didn't have nothing to bargain with. They had no leverage. They were making a move in reality that they didn't have. Their next move 
was checkmate. Their move was it's over. Their move is game over. Anybody hear me today? It wasn't logical. It wasn't smart. But they knew one thing, that they just couldn't sit there any longer. There was no other possibility. They knew they listened. They knew they couldn't go back into the city of Samaria. Listen to this. There was absolutely nothing there for them. Their government couldn't help them. You ready for this? Their religion couldn't help them. They were outcast. There was not a church in Samaria that could do anything for them. And it really and, and really and truly, it was because of the church, their family couldn't help them either because they were lepers. So going back into Samaria was not an option. Sitting at the gates of Samaria was not an option. Sitting in the gates of Samaria was not an option. Sitting in the gates of Samaria was not an option. So they only had one move to make, and that wasn't a viable option either. But that's all they had. I believe something rose up on the inside of these four men. And I believe it was fueled by the Spirit of God. If you'll just get up and take one step forward, I'll do the rest. You say, Pastor, I've heard these kind of sermons before. I have too. And I've lived on the edge the majority of my ministry. My ministry and the success of it, if you will, I had to live on the edge. I had sometimes, oftentimes, many times, even here at pastor of this church, had to get up and just take a step and just kind of hope for the best. You know, it's Peter stepping outside the ship on the stormy sea. If you stay in the boat, you're going to drown. So somebody has to be willing to get up. And just take a step and put that step in the hands of God. I want to reassure everybody here today. I can't find it in Scripture. Maybe these scholars over here can. I don't think they heard what Elisha said. They weren't being motivated by a sermon. They wasn't even being motivated by the Bible. I don't recall them quoting one one part of the law of Moses. I don't see in the scripture where they quoted anything about their religious background. All they said was, we're not going to sit here and die. If our situation is going to get better, then I have to get up and do something about it. Oh my. Oh my. And I believe there's something here in Grace Church as of 2023 that is being fueled by the Spirit of God. Sandy Taylor told me several weeks ago, she caught me out under the portico in my car, and she said, we've got to pray, Pastor. Something's got to give. I can't go on like this. I want a move of God in Grace Church. I want to see God do something amazing in Grace Church. I want to see it growing again. And I looked her in the eye and said, you have no idea what God has been speaking 
speak into my heart. You've just sat here and affirmed what God's been telling me. And then I had two or three more that walked up and said the same thing. I'm here to tell you today, you may not have heard what I've heard, but you feel what I'm feeling. I feel the presence of God, and so do you. Let's get up. Let's get up and take a step and do something for the kingdom. Now, I want you to notice something so blatantly obvious in this scripture setting. And I have overlooked it all of my life. I have preached this scripture setting many, many times. But something hit me this past Monday when I read it again. I just told you of what they could not do. You understand that. They couldn't go back into the city of Samaria or they would die. The Jews would kill them. If they just sat at the gates of Samaria, they're going to die of starvation. They couldn't do much of anything. So we understand and how this has been preached to us all of our lives. But I have never heard anybody really preach what they could do. Not like this. And this is where I believe God spoke to me. I believe he showed this to me. These four men had leprosy. But they were not in such bad shape that they couldn't stand up and that they could not walk and that they had lost use of their hands. Well, I'm glad that inspired all of you like it did me. Y'all just hang on to your seat. I mean, calm down a little bit. We have prayer warriors in this church right now that feel powerless. We have intercessors in this church right now that feel powerless because of the circumstance you're living in. But I say to you by the word of God, to quit focusing on what you can't do and start focusing on what you can do. These men were not crippled. They were not blind. They were not incoherent. They, they, were, not, they were not in a place of complete incapacity. They, they still had, they could still mobilize themselves. They could still move. They could still work. They could still walk. They, yes, they had leprosy, but they still had potential. Everybody, virtually everybody in this church, every family, has some reason that makes you feel debilitated to some degree. Pastor, I can't pray like I used to. I can't fast like I used to. I can't read the Word of God like I used to. It could be physical circumstances. It could be an attitude. It could be a mentality. You could just say, I can't, I can't, I can't. But these four lepers that were outcast. Nobody wanted them. Nobody would have to have anything to do with them. You know who their company was? Another leper. Their friendship never upgraded to something better. 
But in their mentality, in their circumstance, let me put it in our terminology. I can't do anything, Pastor, because my kids are a wreck. I can't do anything because my finances are a wreck. I can't do anything because my marriage is a wreck. I can't do anything because my job is a mess. I can't do anything because of health issues. I can't do anything because I've been hurt. I can't do anything because I've been burned. I can't do anything because of this and that. And you can make the list go as long and far as you want. But something we all overlook here this morning, every person in this building, yes, there may be reasons why you can't do something but there's a long list of reasons why you can do some things all right sit down and watch this well I love saying sit down because that means people are standing and you're into it I do not read in any of the verses of 2 Kings 7, where these four lepers had turned their back on God. I, have, I can't find anywhere where they, they turned their back on their faith. They didn't really seem to be bitter over their plight. Let me make a statement to you. I wish I had highlighted it and put it on the screen. They had faith for all those years that they were lepers. But they never understood how to make it work for them until that day. And I want some people here today, if you will, to get a divine revelation. This building is full of faith. But God is calling on this church to do things we've never done before. And we don't feel comfortable and we're scared to death. Looking at the condition they were in physically. Looking at the condition of their government. Looking at the condition of their church. Looking at the condition of their family. Do you need any other reason to just sit here and die? There ain't nothing going on good for me, Pastor. The church is horrible. I'm not saying Grace Church is horrible, but theirs was. Church is horrible. The government's horrible. Hello? Well, maybe I'm misinformed, y'all. Reading a different newspaper or something? The school systems, nothing's working, nothing's working, nothing's working. All of our freedoms are being taken away, and all of these horrible things are happening. Even when they were completely out of moves, Referring to the chessboard, they refused to accept their plight. Again, became apparent to them, we can't go backwards or we'll die, and we can't sit here. If we do, we will die. The only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is head for the Syrians. Keep in mind, and I don't mean to be repetitive, but this is, I need to drive the point home. I do not believe they heard Elisha's prophecy. Again, I believe they still loved God. They still loved their family. And I believe they still loved their church. But they reached a point where they had to do 
something. They understood that even though the God they loved, they had to understand and come to the realization that the God they loved was not going to cleanse their leprosy. After all this miracle, after going to the Syrians camp and all the Syrian people were gone, they ate and all that stuff. When they came back to the king to tell him the good news, they were still lepers. God may not take your thorn out of your flesh. He may not straighten all your kids up in one big swoop of his hand. He may not work out every little detail in your life, but I tell you what he will do. He'll give you enough provision that you can be happy on the inside, fulfilled on the inside. You can make life work for you. You can be joyful getting up every morning. Even though there's something going on in your life that ain't perfect, God still has the ability to do that. Just get up. They realized that God was not going to answer the question, why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to my family? Why can't my church help me? What, what did I do to deserve to be in this place? God wasn't going to answer that. So <clears throat> as the sun began to set on that day, I wished I knew how old prophet, uh, Elisha's prophecy was. Couldn't have been more than a few hours. As it began to get dark, even the darkness could not stop them. Their faith, the power of their faith exceeded the power of the dark, the unknown. They didn't know what God was about to do. They didn't know that God was about to use them, not only for themselves, not only for their family, but for their whole city, their government, their country, their faith and their mentality, and even the leprosy. God was going to use all of that together to perform one of the greatest miracles that's happened in the Old Testament. So I'm here today to submit to Grace Church that we may feel like we're in a position called Stalemate. I'm not here today to imply that anyone is a leper. But what I am here today to say is that as grievous and depressing and discouraging as the few past, past few months and years may have been for our church and a lot of our families who have faithfully attended, God is not done yet. God has some things going on behind the scenes. If I could say these things publicly, it would blow your mind. I have heard affirmation just this week that in just a matter of days and weeks, God could have this church packed out with people. The potential is already there. Again, y'all settle down now and let me continue preaching. This is, a, this is a condition of our mentality. We're kind of like the Lord on the king's court. Pastor God couldn't do this. Even if he could make a window in heaven, he couldn't do this. Not tomorrow. 
I would be more excited and rejoice if you just put this the fulfillment of this prophecy like six more months down the road and give me a little time to adapt to the get my head around it and kind of work it into my system a little bit. And that's why we continue, a lot of us, to just sit. Because when prophecy comes around, God don't give us time to wrap our head around it. You just have to believe it and run with it. I want to applaud Grace Church here today. You may not feel like you've heard from God, but your faith is still intact. And you have come to understand that there's no longer any reason for you to live another day in your circumstances and in your conditions. God may not take the thorn out of your flesh and there may be prayers that still go unanswered. But there's a whole list of other things that could change in our lives, in our mind, in our family. If somebody would just determine, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. I'm going I'm to make my, it hurts real bad. Oh, God, this leprosy's pulling my skin and, and it hurts really bad. And God, this condition in my mind and this condition in my marriage and this condition in my family. Everywhere I move, I just feel like I'm stuck and there's my spouse right there and there's my kids right there and my job is right there and all the broken things in my life that's all I can see somewhere along the line Grace Church let's dig down real deep and muster up some faith that said there's still a God he's large and he's in charge he's on the throne and he can do anything So I want to compel some people today. I'm not done, but I'm going to have to quit. If you'll all stand with me. I want to compel somebody here today to perhaps consider maybe some desperate measures and not focus on what you do not have, but focus on what you do have. You still have faith. Everybody here today has faith. Everybody here today has faith. Yes, you do. You have knowledge of the Word of God. And you know some of the promises that are in the Word of God. And your attitude is still good. It's just coming up with a plan. And let that plan begin with a prayer meeting. I loved it when Brother Holloway said last Sunday, talked about Link 24, where he's got a group of men, 23, he's the 24th, and they, they take an hour every day to pray for one another. So he knows that every hour of the day, somebody is praying for him. Wouldn't that be an amazing place to start? Can anybody get up and just go to a friend? If it's not but just two hours a day. If it's not but just two 30-minute prayer cycles. If it's just two 15-minute prayer cycles. It's better than what's happening now. Get involved. We're introducing connect groups here in a couple of weeks. Get involved in one of them. Why don't you try to start attending Sunday school again? How about Wednesday night again? Why don't you get up and try starting to come back to church on Wednesday night again? Go in the direction of God's provision. Listen to pastor. The lepers did not want to become like a Syrian. They did not want to join their army. They did not want to move into their tent. They knew that the Syrian army could provide for them 
what they needed without them having to change to be like a Syrian. Y'all didn't just hear that. See, we think we have to give up all the stuff of being who we are to get something in life. I taught Grace Church a long time ago when we went to the Grow Intensive in Birmingham. I want to set out to prove we don't have to compromise what we believe to have church growth. This church has grown by leaps and bounds since we've been in this building. It's starting to grow again. You know why? Because somebody is getting up to stand up and take a step. Stand up and take a step. I'm not done, but you get the point. Here's what some of us dread. And I'm not going to promise I'm concluding, but I'm make it a proverb here today. It's not a promise, it's a proverb, but I'm concluding. I can't imagine how these men look. You talk about unattractive, embarrassing, the stuff oozing out of the pores of their skin, and their arms wrapped up in this cloth as they're hobbling down the street. It was a good thing that all the Jewish people were trapped inside the gates of Samaria it had a host of people in out there trying to persuade them not to do what they were doing they had a clear path all the way to the Syrian people here they come here they come just looking horrible looking horrible and I can't imagine what's the what's terminology here the positive terror the encouraging terror that they faced when they walked into the camp of the Assyrian army there wasn't a soul there. What in the world? The Syrians heard the chariots and horses, not the lepers. So while pastors hear the voice of God, you're feeling the Spirit of God. There's a world out there that's willing to vacate everything they are and give it all to God. And to give it all to God, that's a cool revelation right there, buddy. That's an amazing revelation right there. I've seen God do it before. The Bible is full of it. The book of Acts is full of it. And the testimonies have continued through the years. Our missionaries have talked about it. Preachers and pastors across our country has talked about it. God gave us this building. You know why? I didn't stand there at that office right on the other side of that wall and look Bill Parsons in the eye when he said, would y'all like to buy this building? And say, oh, no, we can't do that, man. We're too small. We don't have the money for that. You know what came over me? The Spirit of God came over me. It did. And with our 65 people and a few dollars in the bank, I looked him in the eye and said, how much do you want? And he said, 1.3 million. I said, let me go talk to my trustee board about it. Yes, we're interested. You know what I did? I got up and took a step. And God did the rest. I remember, I, I wish I could remember what year it was when it flooded in Baker 
It wasn't the 2016 flood. It was before that. I, I, I caught a policeman at the, wall, the, the Walmart parking lot there in Baker at Plank and Groom Road. And I said, I need to get to my church. He said, Pastor, you can't go down there. He said, there's a car stalled out in front of your church and the water's over the headlights of that car. I knew our church flooded. It had no choice but to flood. But I took a step anyway. When I could get there, I went there. And when I unlocked the door, there had not been a drop of water in that. Now, you can look at me like you want to look at me. But there's people here today that can witness that miracle that it happened. Besides that, there was a tree branch about that big around and about 10 feet long resting at the front door that floated up to the front doors. Don't tell me what God can do and what he can't do. But it takes somebody. He says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to take a step. All you young folks, you stay right where you are. This altar area is for other people today. Y'all already had your altar service. Y'all just stay right there. Don't look at me like that. Really? It's okay. You hang on. So you just put out. Y'all are recovered. Y'all are excited. Y'all are doing all the good stuff, man. We need some folks back here to come up here and say, I'm going to take a step. Y'all stay right where you're at. Anybody? Where's my intercessors? Are y'all coming? Y'all coming? Where's the Sunday school teachers? Where's our lobby staff? Where are you folks at? Y'all coming? Where's youth ministry staff? Where's our connect group leaders? Y'all coming? Y'all coming? Anybody going to come on? Come on up here. Come on up here. Y'all are shoving our young people out of the way. Isn't that a great feeling? Y'all are pushing them back to the pew. Somebody determined here right now, right here, right now. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up out of my depression and my fear and my loneliness and my anxiety. And I'm going to do a work for God. Come on, y'all sing. The steel inside the storm. The promise of the shore. Yes. Yes. I trust the yes. power of your Now, word. young folks, y'all can come up here. Y'all make your way through all this crowd up here. Y'all come up here. Y'all come on. Come on. Come on, adult people. Come on, grown-up people. Come on. Put God on the spot. Go out to on the end of the branch where the, where the branch.